and welcome to A History of Hannibal, Episode 3, Meet the Romans, Part 2. As important as the Roman Constitution is, and as much as is known about the Senate and Republic and all the different offices, it is the Roman Legion that has entered our collective consciousness. This will be our main topic for today. We shall look at who fought and how they fought. We'll also take a look at Roman religion and the geography of the Mediterranean, with particular attention given to Italy. In the period that we will be studying, Rome fought using the maniple system. It had previously used other systems, such as the famous phalanx formation, in which soldiers stand side by side, forming a shield wall with long pikes jutting out of it. The phalanx was highly effective and spread out across the Mediterranean, but it eventually fell out of favour with the Romans. The phalanx was well suited to the plains of Latium, but not so much to the hills of Samnium. You see, while it is near impossible to penetrate a phalanx, a phalanx is as good as destroyed if it is attacked from the flanks. The military term for the side of an army is the flank, or if it is attacked from the rear. This is because the troops are packed together so tightly that they cannot turn to face the oncoming danger. I think you can see the problem. It is very hard for a phalanx to keep its shape on uneven hilly ground. If a gap appears in the line, the enemy can swarm into it and eat the phalanx from the inside. As the Romans expanded into the hills of central Italy to fight the Samnite Wars, it soon became clear to them that they could not continue to use the phalanx, and so they morphed their forces into what became the maniple system, something we shall examine in detail. The reason why we call the maniple system the maniple is because the basic unit in the army was, yes, you guessed it, the maniple. A maniple consisted of 120 men, usually 40 men across in three ranks. The standard formation was to deploy the maniples in three rows in a checkerboard formation, the second row filling the gaps in the front row, and the back row filling the gaps in the second row. The first row of maniples is made up of the hastati. The hastati maniples were the youngest and least experienced men in the army. They were formerly armed with a spear, called a hastai, which gave its name to the unit. But by this period, they were armed with swords and two pila, pilum in the singular, as well as the usual shield and armour. A pilum was a javelin, which would be thrown shortly before engagement to disrupt the enemy line. The iron behind the tip would famously bend when it struck, meaning that if the pilum hit an enemy shield, it would be very hard to remove the pylon from the shield, rendering the shield useless. Behind the Hastati were ten maniples of Principes. The Principes were older and more experienced than the youthful Hastati. They were equipped with the same weaponry and defences as the Hastati, and were used if the Hastati were unable to break the enemy. Behind the Principes were the final line, the Triarii. There were ten maniples of Triarii, but only sixty men in each maniple. They were the veterans. If the other two lines couldn't defeat the enemy, they would be brought in to save the day. 
In fact, the Romans had a saying, Rem ad triarios renditiae. It is come to the triarii, showing an act of desperation. The triarii were the remnants of the old phalanx system, and fought like a phalanx, using the two-metre hastai. Though, unlike the Greek round shield, the hoplon, the triarii used a large, rectangular, semi-cylindrical shield known as a scooter. Scutum in the singular. When you picture in your mind a Roman legionary, the shield they are using is a scutum. Other key aspects of the army were the Velites, who appear in our period from the earlier Leves. They were, essentially, skirmishers, the poorest and youngest men who were lightly armed and screened their formation, screening being the military term for stopping the enemy seeing what you are doing. There was also the cavalry. The Romans were not the best cavalrymen, being drawn from the rich equestrians. Although, over time, the equestrians became just the officers, and the first class of the five classes of the Comitia Centuriata provided the cavalry. There is little evidence about the Roman cavalry, but they certainly were armed with at least swords. So, that is a Roman legion. 1,200 Hestati, 1,200 Principates, 600 Triarii, 1,200 Velites, and 300 Cavalry. They were the normal officers of a Roman army too, the Centurions and the military tribunes. At least early on, a consul would normally lead two legions into battle, but over time, the number of legions grew. Legionaries would be drawn from the propertied classes, enrolled in the Comita Centuriata, usually small farmers, though allies would also provide troops. And that is the Roman army. There would eventually be a Roman navy during the First Punic War, but that is for later. All you really need to know anyway about naval tactics is that it involved ramming the other opponent. Classy. And that is the Roman military. I'll now go over Roman religion. Most of you will know a lot about Roman religion. The replication of the Greek pantheon, Jupiter for Zeus, Neptune for Poseidon, Pluto for Hades, etc, etc. I shall not be going into all that. While I do find Greco-Roman mythology mildly interesting, I do not want to go into it here. There are more important things to be looking at. Certain aspects of Roman religion the first of which are the Sibylline books. A Sibyl was a priestess who prophesied at certain holy sites. The sayings of these various Sibyls were collected into what is known as the Sibylline books. Created in the 6th century BC, supposedly, King Tarquinius bought them off the Cumaean Sibyl. The story goes that the Sibyl offered the nine books of prophecies to Tarquinius, but he refused due to the excessive price of the books. The Sibyl then burned three of the books, and offered him the remaining six for the same price. He refused again. The Sibyl burned three more books, and Tarquinius finally bought the last three books for the price of the full nine. The predictions were very vague, similar in fact to Nostradamus. They would be consulted during emergencies. 
such as the problem of Hannibal, but we'll deal with that in time. One other aspect of Roman religion I'd like to introduce is something called the Iwakatio. It derives from Iwaka, I call away, and it was the act of calling away another nation's god. When the Romans were about to defeat and destroy another state, they would call upon the god of the state to abandon it, as the Romans would honour that god instead. There are a few instances of it during the Republic. Juno Regina, Juno the Queen, was taken from Vie during the siege of that city. This will be again mentioned at some point in the podcast, and I find it very interesting. I would now like to go into the ancient geography of the Mediterranean. I'll start with Italy, and then go clockwise around the Mediterranean, before finishing with an in-depth look at Italy. If you check out the website, you should be able to find a map of the Mediterranean and of Italy. This may be a bit basic to some of you, but I just want to make sure we are all on the same page. In the centre of the Mediterranean, you have Italy, bordered on the east by the Adriatic Sea. On the other side of the Adriatic is Illyria. This region currently hosts the former Yugoslavian countries of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Serbia, Montenegro, etc. To the south, where Albania is currently located, we have Epirus. Northern modern Greece is where Macedonia was located, and south of that is what the ancients knew as Greece. Thessaly in the north, going south through Boeotia into Attica and the Peloponnese. Still moving east, we have the Aegean Sea, and then modern Turkey, Asia Minor. The ancient eastern Mediterranean is quite easy to work out when compared to the modern one, the large regions being Syria, Cyprus, Judea, and Egypt, not forgetting the coastal region of Phoenicia. The eastern Mediterranean was dominated between Macedon, based in Macedonia, the Seleucid Empire, based in Syria, and Egypt, based in, you guessed it, Egypt. As we move across North Africa, you have Cyrene in modern eastern Libya. The rest of the North African coast was dominated by Carthage, based in modern Tunisia. Numidia was also quite a powerful state, based in modern Algeria. As you move into modern Morocco, there was Mauritania. In Spain, we have the Iberians, the Celts, and the Celtiberians, while in modern France, Switzerland, and northern Italy, we have the Gauls. There are also the larger islands of Corsica, Sardinia, and Sicily. Now, on to Italy. In northern Italy, we have the Po Valley. As we move down the spine of Italy, we have Etruria, in modern Tuscany. And then more inland, we have Umbria, and then Picenum on the Adriatic coast. Further down, there is Latium, which of course contains Rome. Carrying on down the coast, we get into Campania by modern Naples, and then inland to the Adriatic is Samnium. Moving down the Adriatic coast is Apulia, and then there is the heel of Italy, which is Calabria. South of Campania and west of Apulia is Lucania, with Brutium 
in the toe of Italy. By the First Punic War, Rome had control of all of central Italy, and had just subjugated the Greeks in southern Italy, known as Magna Graecia. When the Greeks colonised southern Italy, around 700 BC, they saw it as a bigger version of Greece. The Latinized version of their name they gave it is Magna Graecia, Greater Greece. The Romans had not entered the Po Valley at this stage, which was still controlled by the Gauls. And that is a whistle-stop tour of the ancient Mediterranean. If you like the show, why not like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash the history of pod. Subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash the history of podcast. Check out the website for maps along with other things, the history of podcast.blogspot.com. And if you have any questions, send me an email at thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. Join me next time, when we will finally get into some history. We will bring the Romans up to speed by having an overview of their history up to the start of the First Punic War. Then, the week after, we can look at the other great power in our tale. Carthage. Carthage.